0: Good morning. So, um, episode four. The Rebel Alliance is under attack from the Galactic Empire. A ship carrying Princess Leia is under attack and Darth Vader is about to board. The Rebel Alliance has been reeling ever since the Clone Wars in which all but one Jedi was killed. In desperation, Princess Leia sends a message through the droid R2-D2. And part of that message was this. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Some of y'all were mouthing that as I was saying it. (laughs) We got a lot of Star Wars nerds in the audience this morning. I wouldn't say I'm a Star Wars nerd. If you are, that's okay. This is a judgment-free zone. But I did grow up in love with the Star Wars series. See, here's the deal, I've only watched the first three. I won't watch the rest of them. I'm afraid it would ruin it for me. Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, The Best Being, Empire Strikes Back, those are the only three that I have watched. So I guess you could say I'm a Star Wars originalist or a Star Wars purist. You know, as a kid, I had all the toys, the Millennium Falcon, the TIE fighter, the X-Wing fighter, I had all the action figures. By the way, they're not dolls, they're action figures. I would pretend that I was Luke Skywalker, and I would assign roles to my family members and to our cats. Our cats were all Ewoks. My dad was Han Solo. My mother was Jabba the Hutt, which she couldn't stand. (laughs) And so I would pretend that I was a part of the story. And, you know, I was watching Star Wars again not long ago. Now, I saw the original Star Wars in the movie theater in downtown Paragould, Arkansas, when I was like five years old. So I have a lot of nostalgia and a lot of memories about that. And so I was watching it again not long ago, and it struck me that the message from Princess Leia is not much different than the message that we find in Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, you can call me crazy, but remember, I've preached for over 20 years. i got to find material anywhere I can. So, in Jeremiah chapter 29, let's look in, in verse 1. We talked about it last Sunday night. And I don't want to spend too much time on rehearsing what we did last week. I just want to dig a little deeper and look at the message here. Starting in verse 1, it says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elassah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon So Israel is in timeout, they are desperate, and their only hope is not Obi-Wan Kenobi, their only hope is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We won't spend too much time setting the scene because we did that last week, and quite honestly, we've done that every week in our Wednesday night devotional series in looking at the minor prophets. But you know that the Jews are about to embark on a one-way trip into exile, into captivity, and the people were um, being communicated to by God through prophets like Jeremiah, and the people had very little patience for the message that Jeremiah was bringing. They didn't like it at all. They mocked him, they ridiculed him. His message doomed him to be that crazy old preacher that nobody wanted to listen to. In fact, you see over and over again the people rejecting his message. Jeremiah, did you see the enemy? Was Jerusalem still standing when you got up this morning? Be careful when you leave the city, Jeremiah. The enemy is hiding in the hills. It's this mocking and this ridicule. And as a result, Jeremiah is in pain. In fact, you can go back to Jeremiah chapter 20, and you can find that Pashur put Jeremiah in stocks even. Do you know who Pashur was? He was a priest. Yeah, it wasn't the pagan religious, it wasn't the pagan people in the community that, that Jeremiah had to worry about. It was the religious people that were condemning him, ridiculing him, mocking him, and even putting him in stocks. Even his own friends had turned their back on him, all because he delivered God's message. In fact, you can go back to the book of Lamentations, and you can look in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is Jeremiah's memoir or his diary. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction Because of the rod of his wrath, he has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. And so you have this hopeless prophet speaking to a hopeless people in a hopeless situation. And I want you to notice Jeremiah's words on down in Lamentations chapter 3, some of which Clay read a moment ago. Starting in verse 19, it says, Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will have hope in Him. There are two aspects to life. There's the horizontal and there's the vertical. The horizontal is everything that goes on around you. Look to your right, look to your left, look in front of you, look behind you. That's the horizontal. Everything that surrounds you in this life, whether good or bad, that is the horizontal. The vertical, of course, is when we look up, when we see God, when we turn to Him. Jeremiah was in despair. When he looked around him, when he looked at the horizontal, he saw nothing but pain and heartache. He saw turmoil and tribulation, but then he went vertical. He looked up and it changed everything. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in Him. The vertical makes all the difference, and it should because it's the vertical that's the one constant in life. It's what's stable. When everything around us is falling apart, when you can't see the horizon on the horizontal, we look up, we go vertical, and we see who is in control. The vertical changes the way we view the mess in the horizontal. You ever had someone say, can I have a word with you? That's never a good thing, is it? In fact, when someone says, can I have a word with you, typically it's, going to have a lot of words with you? And those words are not going to be very encouraging or compassionate. They're usually going to be rather condemning or maybe negative. Maybe Satan wants to have a word with you. Maybe your employer wants to have a word with you. Maybe your spouse wants to have a word with you. Maybe the doctor wants to have a word with you. But God has the final word, doesn't he? The vertical changes all of that. Hopelessness may be in the horizontal, but victory is found in the vertical. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 29, and I want you to notice the first part of verse 11. And like we talked about last Sunday night, um, this isn't about you, okay? We often make Jeremiah 29, 11 about us, about, you know, graduating high school and going into the workforce or college or whatever. I I know the plans I have for you, right? Well, right above Jeremiah chapter 29 in your Bible, you probably have a heading that says message to exiles. Okay. That's not you. So we've got to read this in its context. And it says, at least the first part, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God had a plan. That's the important thing to note here. Despite everything that was going on horizontally, God was up to something. Now, like we talked about last week, God's plan was not going to come about immediately. In other words, the people were going to be in exile for a long time. In fact. Many of the people that were hearing this promise and this plan weren't going to see it come to fruition because they were going to be there for 70 years. Jeremiah is saying, hey, there's good news. And the good news is that some 70 years later, God is going to bring hope. He's going to bring a silver lining. That's what gets us through, doesn't it? Hope. Isn't that what gets us through? I mean, we lose hope when we feel like there's no tomorrow. As long as we know there's a tomorrow, we're okay. Remember a couple of weeks ago when it was so bleak and dreary outside and it was cold and rainy? I mean, I can take one. I don't want both. Cold and rainy and you couldn't see the sun for a couple of days. What gets you through that? Knowing that you can see the forecast and in West Texas it's going to be 100 the next day. You can get through it, right? There's hope on the horizon. There are many people who lose hope because they can't see tomorrow. There are people who medicate themselves with drugs or alcohol because they can't see a tomorrow. There are people who resort to suicide because they just can't see a tomorrow. There are people who fall into a deep depression because they have no hope of a tomorrow. And the reverse is true for some. There are some people who have an infectious attitude when it comes to being diagnosed with a debilitating disease because they have hope in tomorrow. There are those who always look for that silver lining. Some grieve with hope because they know that this life isn't all that there is. They rejoice in the God of tomorrow. When it seems like there's no horizon in the horizontal, we have to go vertical. The people of God, that Jeremiah was speaking to were living between the now and not yet. And the now wasn't really good. In fact, it was pretty miserable. The not yet was hope on the horizon. God made it clear that he had a plan for them, and that plan was welfare and not calamity. It was a plan that was drenched in hope, but what happens in the now? How do you get through it until the not yet comes to fruition? How do we deal with the horizontal until the vertical comes through? Well, notice what God says to the people through this prophet. He says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. God says, be productive in the dark. In the meantime, between the now and not yet, do something, get to work. The only time it's acceptable to do nothing is when there's nothing to do. And that certainly wasn't the case for God's people. They had more than plenty to do. They were going into captivity for 70 years, and therefore God says, do something. Get comfortable. Build a house. Plant gardens. Build a family. Then verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. In essence, God says, find out how you can be a blessing let that be your focal point. Instead of wallowing in self-pity, instead of playing the role of a victim, instead of pouting and sulking, instead of just waiting it out, find a way to be a blessing. Find a way to serve. You know, one of the reasons that we lose hope is because we make it all about ourselves. And that's a natural, normal response, right? It's a reflexive response when you're going through turmoil in the horizontal to make it about yourself and to wallow and, and to maybe even pout and sulk. I mean, ideally, we want this life to be comfortable and convenient. And sometimes when it's not, we want to look to the vertical and say, what are you doing to me? What have I done wrong? Haven't I been faithful? But at the end of the day, we look to God, even in our mess, and we try to find a way to be productive in the dark. Now, this wasn't easy for God's people because they were hearing competing voices. There were false prophets who were trying to fill their minds with a different message than what Jeremiah was bringing. These dissenting voices were in the ears of the people saying, is it really going to be 70 years? I I mean, I seriously doubt that. You really believe this crazy old guy that's talking to you uh, about whatever God is saying? You really think he's speaking on behalf of God? I, I don't know what they were saying necessarily. But what they needed to do is hear only one voice. The voice of God needed to be the loudest in their lives. Don't let the Babylonians have the last word. Don't let these false prophets have the last word. Let God be the only word that you pay attention to. When God says, can I have a word with you? That's the only voice that your ears need to be attuned to. Because here's the deal. We use this little word hope all the time, don't we? We say things like, I hope I get an A on that test or I, 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 hope, I hope that uh, my baby is, grows up to be a strong spiritual warrior for God. I hope that I that I get that raise at work. And hope should drive us to do something about it. Hope should be a motivator for us to take care of what we can actually take care of, right? We can't control all of our circumstances, but we need to be in control of what we can control and let God work, right? So if I hope to get an A on the test, I can't just... Say, I hope i got to do something, right? Hopefully that motivates me to study harder. If I'm hoping for a raise at work, hopefully I'm motivated to, to work harder, to merit that. We all know about hoping for things. But we also know this, that hope is always dependent upon the reliability of the one we're counting on. Hope depends on who's making the promise, right? When you read through Scripture, you'll notice that hope is never pulled out of thin air, ever. When you read through Scripture, you notice this. It's based on a history with God, a history that gives us insight into the character of God and why we can trust Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hope is based on reason. It's based on logic. It's not irrational. For the child of God, our hope is in a real God who makes real promises to real people and has given us real reasons why we can trust Him. The psalmist had it right when he stated, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The hope of God's people is wrapped up in a God who cannot lie. Our hope is wrapped up in a God who is unchanging. Our hope is in a God who is promising that what he has started, he is going to see to completion. Our hope is in a promise and a person. It was for the people back in Jeremiah's day, and it is for us as well. I want you to notice Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our Righteousness. Who's that talking about? Well, if you've been a part of this series at all, you know that we're making the connection between the old and the new. And folks, listen to me. We said this Wednesday night, and we're going to talk more about this later, but oftentimes we take the Bible in two separate sections. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we have one story, and then you get over the New Testament, and suddenly we shift gears. No, no, no. It's all one story. We don't get over to the story of Jesus, and all of a sudden we're going down a different path. It's all one story that starts in Genesis and goes all the way to completion through Revelation. And what we see so often is we see foreshadowing. We see figures of Jesus in the Old Testament. We see the law and the prophets pointing to Jesus. We see them pointing to something that is better than. That's really a major theme of the Bible. Jesus is better than. The new covenant is better than. And so you have these people in the Old Testament like Samson, like David, Solomon, Gideon. I mean, you name it. These men over and over again you see in Scripture in the Old Testament that point forward as a figure of Jesus. They're not Jesus because they had glaring faults. But in many ways... They look like Jesus. They do the work of Jesus in some way, shape, or form. So, what we see here is the kings that were on the throne in Jeremiah's day did not act wisely. They did not do justice. They were not righteous, and therefore the people could not dwell securely. But all of that was going to change, right? A righteous branch, a future David is going to restore the Davidic dynasty. Why? Because God promised that, and He promised it very early on. The people will no longer serve an earthly king. The one holy, righteous, and perfect king will rule and reign and bring peace to the people of God. You move over to Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 31, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So when this new and better king comes he will bring this new and better covenant a covenant is a partnership with god that's what it is it's a partnership with god unfortunately israel did not hold up their end of the bargain right israel was meant to be a partner with god in his great mission to bring in the gentiles to widen the circle and to to broaden the kingdom, but they failed in that effort. Jesus came to succeed where Israel had failed. And when we put him on in baptism as an expression of faith, we place ourselves smack dab in the story. We become a part of the story then. That's what baptism is. It's a lot of things, and we can talk about that, and Jake has talked about that in his class on Sunday mornings. But at the end of the day, baptism places you, the Gentile, in the story. We are a part of this new covenant. But we're not just receiving salvation. As a partner with God, what are we doing? We are carrying out His mission and His message in the world around us, right? Because baptism is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Baptism is is us partnering with God and saying, I'm with you all the way. I'm a part of this mission and this message now. And I am going to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And I am going to go into all the world making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because I am partnering with you in this great salvation or rescue effort. That's what it means to be a part of the story. And finally, I want to point this out in chapter 7 of verse 11 of Jeremiah. It says, the prophet says this, he says, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. Do do those words look familiar to you? You remember those from somewhere else? You remember in Matthew chapter 21 when Jesus is turning over the tables of the money changers? He says these words. Here's another one. In Matthew 16 and 13, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Why would people think that Jesus was Jeremiah? Have you read Jeremiah? Again, Jeremiah is foreshadowing of the Messiah that was to come. Like we've said before, over and over again in Scripture, you see this. You see a figure of the Messiah that is to come, but he's not quite there. Jeremiah gave a message of doom and gloom, but also a message of hope. Did Jesus not do that? Did Jesus not send a message of judgment against Jerusalem and the temple? Jesus announced those same things, his message and his ministry. Were the same as Jeremiah. Jeremiah was foreshadowing of the ministry of Jesus, a, mes- a message and ministry of hope. And as Jesus is delivering this message, many people didn't receive it well, did they? Like Jeremiah, many people were upset with the message that Jesus was bringing, and they went further than just putting him in stocks, didn't they? They put him on a cross because they were so. De- They were so disgusted by his message. I want to ask you this this morning as we close. Are you afraid of the dark? You know, as a a kid, I used to be, I, I used to have a nightlight in my room because I didn't like it completely dark. Some of you have a very hard time functioning in darkness. And some of you may be sitting in darkness this morning. You're dealing with darkness in your job. You're dealing with darkness maybe in your marriage. You're dealing with darkness because of a loss of a family member. Maybe you're sitting in the dark because you've been diagnosed with a debilitating disease or or your spouse has. And it's tough. And for some, they can't see a tomorrow. They don't know how to cope between now and not yet. If that describes you, do not leave here this morning without hearing these words. God has a plan. He always has. And while the horizontal may seem to be falling apart around you, when you turn in every direction and see nothing but darkness, I want to encourage you to go vertical. To look up and realize that God has a plan. Between now and not yet, we live with hope. While in the dark, we remember that we have a future and a hope, right? Because God has a plan, the darkness doesn't last. This isn't as good as it gets, there's something better on the horizon. Can we help you this morning? Can we pray with you? Can we hug on you? Can we cry with you? Can we study the Bible with you? Are you ready to make a commitment and be a daily disciple for Jesus Christ? Jim's going to lead us in a song. I want you to know you don't have to live in darkness, and you don't have to be afraid of the dark. Let's go vertical this morning. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?